morning. Good morning, good morning. So great to be worshiping with everyone again. Uh, I invite everyone to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 P- Peter chapter 5. We are finally at the end of our Gospel Transformed Relationship series. It's been three months. It's been three months. Um, and last week, we started to talk about the pastor-church relationship in the Bible. And the focus of last week's message was on the more formal aspects of this relationship. You know, th- th- there's a structure, there is a power dynamic ordained by God. And in the structure, there is two-way accountability between pastors and church communities. One where pastors are accountable to a church community and a team of pastors, and where churches give pastors the permission, the, the authority to lead. And like all relationships, this relationship isn't easy. It, it takes a lot of intentional effort and patience and grace to have it working the way that God wants us to. But it's an important relationship that turns believers to wholly trust Jesus to lead. All of our relationships are interconnected with our relationship with God. The first commandment in the Bible, the the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And as we love our neighbors, as we love our husbands, our wives, our friends, our church members, our church leaders, our coworkers, our bosses, that's how we know we have love for God. And our love for God feels that love for everyone else. So this week's message is about the, the heart attitude that God calls believers to have in this pastor-church relationship and, and, and why it's so important for all of us. So we're going to start by looking at the Bible. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. Um, let's follow along as I read says this, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock, And when the chief shepherd comes, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. We're also going to read from Hebrews 17, uh, Hebrews 13, verses 7 and 17. It says this, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So I want us to think about what should a pastor-church relationship look like? What should a pastor-church relationship look like? 
And your answer to this question may come from a couple of sources, uh, perhaps you know, your own experience of being at a church. Uh, if you've been at a bigger church, you might see the pastor as, as the person who gives a sermon, and that's really the only time you see them, <laughs> once a week, and they're gone. They're just there to tell you things, and, and they're gone. Uh, if you've been part of a smaller a house church, maybe, where the pastor is able to get to know every single person very, very well, you might see the pastor as uh, the, the one who's the first to respond to your needs. Uh, you know, they're there to listen to your problems. They, they pray for you. They give you good counsel. But they are very involved in your life. Very, very, they're, they're there to help you. They're there to serve you 100%. Culture is also a factor in understanding this pastor-church relationship culture. Now, I, I was part of an African-American church fellowship for, for three years of my life. And in, the, and in this church community, the pastor was thought of somebody who has like special spiritual power. Uh, like, like somehow there's more Holy Spirit. <laughs> so, so the pastor was a person you went to for, for them to pray for you. So after church, people would just line up and the pastor would pray for, for the church members. Uh, now, in, in Asian churches, there is a heavy emphasis on respect and authority in the pastor-church relationship. The pastor is in a specific position of authority in which you need to give the right amount of face, you know, respect, and honor to. And one application of this understanding is the importance of addressing the pastor with the right title, right? So we say pastor so-and-so. In Chinese, it's like broken down into like different like, you know, roles and levels when we're going to that. In some cases, your name is just changed to pastor. Like, just pasta, pasta, pasta. That, that, that's just your name. <laughs> but in contrast, in many westernized churches, uh, they don't emphasize the authority of the pastor as much. Instead, the focus is on interacting with the pastor as more of a friend. So you call the pastor by you know, their first name, like Bob, Joe, Bill, Jim. And the pastor doesn't really dress differently. He sort of dresses like everyone else. You know, he's part of the people. Um, it's actually very weird to address them as pastor so-and-so. It's like really awkward. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, just, that's just weird. The pastor is seen as, as a friend who is especially knowledgeable in the Bible and who can you know, tell me what it says when I need an answer. What should a pastor-church relationship look like? Many times our circumstances, our, our culture and experience informs our answer to this question. And, and these things are not necessarily wrong or bad. Uh, sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. Uh, what's important is that we start with what God says about the relationship. That's the foundation. So I want us to think about a slightly different question. What does a healthy pastor-church relationship look like? What does a healthy pastor-church relationship look like? We talk about you know, healthy marriages, uh, healthy friendships. You, you don't want a toxic friendship. You want a healthy friendship, and you want a healthy pastor-church relationship. You know, what are some indicators of a good, wholesome, God-pleasing pastor-church relationship? And this is where we need to go and look at God's Word. But l let me start with the main point and then explain how God's word takes us to this main point. The main point is this. The pastor-church relationship that flourishes needs humble dependence on God and each other. 
The pastor-church relationship that flourishes needs humble dependence on God and each other. The foundation to a healthy relationship for the pastor and church is, is having this right heart, this right attitude. And, and this concept is nothing new. We've actually explored it in our other relationships. We know in our work relationships, we need the right heart. It's having a heart of humility and dependence first on God and then on each other. There needs to be a deep realization in a pastor's heart that they need and they, they depend on every single member of the church. And there needs to be a deep conviction in every single church member that they need the service of pastors. The heart is key. And no matter what the circumstance of a church is, whether it's very, very big or, or smaller or what, what cultural background it, it, was, it, was, it comes from, if it has the right heart attitude in this pastor-church relationship, then it's in a healthy place. You know, the Bible passage in, in 1 Peter 5 starts with addressing how pastors and how those under their care should interact. But pastors or, or elders, another word for pastors, they shepherd the flock, they exercise oversight, they watch over the flock, and those who are younger are to, are to be subject to them. But right afterwards, you know, everyone in the church, everyone in the church is given a command that has to do with the posture of their hearts. They are to clothe themselves with humility towards each other. They are to humble themselves before God, trusting that he will lift those who are humble up at the proper time. And this emphasis on the heart isn't only in 1 Peter 5 and, and these verses here. It, it's seen through both passages about this pastor-church relationship that we're looking at this morning. So as we look at them in more detail, let me just summarize the, the four key points. All right, so first, pastors and churches require the right heart attitude. We're going to talk about that in a bit more detail. Churches depend on pastors' example and leadership. Pastors depend on churches' willing submission and support. And God restores relationship through humble dependence on him. All right, so let, 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 let's focus on this first point first, all right? Having the right heart attitude. Because this passage spends a lot more time talking about the attitude of a pastor than about what the pastor actually does. You know, the pastor is to shepherd, to exercise oversight, but their motivation is so key. They're not to do it under compulsion. They're not to do it because they have to. They are to do it willingly because they want to. They're not to do it for shameful or dishonest gain. You know, that means they're not to do it because of what they can get out of it, because it's, whether it's money or, or, or power or whatever else. They are not to be uh, domineering. They're not to lord over others in their attitude, meaning they're not to force control over others. Uh, the idea of lording here it, it is more than just an approach, a leadership approach. It, it's about the heart. It, the posture of a leader's heart isn't to look down. It's not to regard themselves as in a greater position of authority compared to everyone else. It's to actually look up, right? to be a servant, to see how they can serve the needs of those in the church. <clears throat> but not only do pastors have to have the right attitude, church members 
also need to have the right attitude. First Peter 5.5 5 commands those who are younger to be subject to the elders or, or pastors. In this verse, it's actually very specific. It's a command for those who are younger in age and perhaps less mature in faith to submit to their pastors. And the reason why there's this emphasis is perhaps because those who are younger in age and faith uh, tend to have a harder time submitting to, to authority. Um, or maybe in the case of this specific church that Peter's addressing, that that was the case for their congregation. Uh, but, that's, but this doesn't mean that those who are older or more mature in faith, that they don't have to follow the direction of pastors. Because God, in Hebrews 13, 17, makes it clear that all believers are to be under the leadership of a pastor. Obey your leaders and submit to them. And and now these words, obey and submit, uh, they can mean very different things depending on who you ask. So it's really, really important to understand what this passage means when it commands believers to obey and submit to pastors. So I'm going to try to give a more detailed explanation because this is actually really important. And I'll, I'll explain why later. The word obey is translated from the original word in Greek, pytho. Pytho. And pytho means not just to obey, but to be persuaded into following out of trust and confidence. So up, up here, the, these colors are the different ways that the same word is translated depending on the context or where it is in scripture, right? So it's, this, it, it's being persuaded into following out of trust and confidence. So it requires a heart attitude that trusts pastors enough to allow them to persuade you or to sway you into direction. So you don't have to trust them like 100%, but you have to trust them enough to, to let, allow them to like think through things with you, share things with you. Now, the word submit in the original language is hipiko. Hipiko. It means to make room for by retiring from a seat or yielding control to another. So it's the idea of instead of sitting in the driver's seat, you're letting someone else have direct control and you're willing to sort of you know, have less control over that situation. And together, these two words get to a heart attitude that believers are to have towards their leaders. An attitude of trust in such a way that they're open, open to the direction and leadership that's given. Your your posture is one where you try your best to follow and yield control of matters of personal preference as long as as it's not against God's will. So, So to put it really simply, it's an attitude of willingness and desire that comes out of trust and love. Okay? Willingness and desire that comes out of trust and love for a pastor. So, so that's what it means. <coughs> Let me help us understand how believers are to obey and submit by telling us what it doesn't mean. Okay, what it doesn't mean. So first, to obey and submit is more than just following through with the external actions. It's more than just giving the external face and honor that's practiced in Chinese culture. Uh, To obey and submit in the biblical sense is in some ways harder than how we usually understand the word obey. Because it's more than just doing what you're told or giving face. 
because you can do something that a pastor encourages you to do, but if you're not doing it out of a place that actually trusts and desires your leadership, you're not actually obeying and submitting. You can, <coughs> you can honor a pastor by telling, saying that you know, you're pastor this or pastor that, but if you don't, actually don't honor them in your heart as pastor, then your words are actually meaningless when it comes to obeying and submitting to them. So without this heart, you are not pitho, you are not obeying. Second, to obey and submit does not mean listening to a pastor's advice or direction for everything in your life. See, in pitho, in, in, in this obedience, you need to be persuaded enough about a direction or decision that there's a willingness that comes from your heart. It means you're making the decision for yourself. No, it doesn't mean allow, allowing somebody to make decisions for you. It means active engagement to make a decision. You're considering what a pastor is saying from the Bible, uh, from the direction of the ministry, and you go along with that direction as you process it for yourself. And, and I say this because there are some churches in Hong Kong that have a, an unhealthy and, and borderline abusive approach when it comes to obedience and submission. Right? Really, what, what's good about uh, Chinese culture in general is that it does value authority and respect, but sometimes it can, it can do that too much. And, and I know this because I've heard firsthand from Christians in the city who, who share about situations. Situations where church leaders have a level of control over members that they shouldn't have. You know, they have control over who a person can interact with, who they can be friends with, how much time they need to be involved in church activities. Obedience and submission does not mean allowing somebody to direct your life. You know, something is wrong when members are told they have to listen to their leaders without question. Something is wrong when they are put in a position where they feel forced to do something that they don't want to do. So pastors and churches require this right heart in the relationship. You know, for pastors, this means a willingness that comes out of love for God not for money or power and control. For church members, this means a heart that desires to follow uh, and, be, and be persuaded out of trust and love, not out of obligation, thinking through things for yourself. You know, the indicator of a healthy pastor-church relationship it isn't, isn't external, it's internal. And it's this heart attitude that, that actually is what pastors and churches, they need each other to develop. They depend on each other for this right attitude. So the second point for this morning is that churches depend on the pastor's example and leadership. Right? A key way pastors lead is by example. So more than telling people what to do or where to go, pastors show people where to go. So 1 Peter 5.3, instead of you know, domineering over people, pastors are to be examples, right? being examples to the flock. And Hebrews 13.7 tells us why being an example of faith is so important. It says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Believers are to consider, you're each to consider the life of those who are leaders, who are pastors. It means to carefully inspect and from this careful inspecting, believers imitate and follow the faith that they see in leaders. It's through example that a church comes to trust a pastor enough to be able to follow the command to submit and obey. If a pastor isn't setting an example, a church is going to have a really hard time submitting. 
So churches partly depend on pastors to have this right attitude. But churches also depend on pastors for another way, uh, perhaps one that you're more familiar with, and, and that's for their spiritual well-being. Right? Pastors are gifted to chur- serve the church in a crucial way. Thanks, Clement. They shepherd the flock of God. They shepherd the flock of God. And part of this means they set direction for a church in a way that will help everyone to move forward spiritually. So the teaching and preaching of a pastor, it, it feeds the sheep, it helps the, ch- sheep, the church to go in faith. And this is tied to verse 17, where they're commanded to, to wa- where a pastors are, are, are told, or, or, or where the church is told that the pastors uh, keep watch over the sheep. Pastors keep watch over the sheep. It's this idea of protection from spiritual harm and danger. It helps keep believers from getting lost or, or losing their way. When pastors are serving in the right way, the result is the whole church benefits. When they're not, then the church suffers. And we're actually told this, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. See, if the pastor isn't doing it with joy, they're not serving rightly, and the result is that the church gains no advantage. The pastors aren't helping the church the way that they should. So churches depend on a pastor's example and leadership. And, and when we believe this truth, it leads us to seek to submit to our pastors in the right way. Um, so when I first came to EEC three years ago, I, I was wearing a shirt and a tie, and I was a bit more fancy than I am now. And a lot of you guys, I, I would get questions like all the time about this. And <laughs> my simple answer was that like, I, was, I just got used to it from my previous church, so I just, I'm just gonna keep wearing a shirt and tie, and you know, I understand it's, it, it is a way to show uh, you know, respect and honor to God for those who understand that. But let, let me share the, the, the long story behind it. Right? So the long sto- story starts when um, I had a conversation with my pastor at the time, and I was like, you know what, I really want to learn how to be a pastor. Well, like, are you willing to mentor me? And, and my pastor at the time was like, well, I can do that, but what I want you to do is to show that you're serious. So I want you to go and I want you to, to buy a lot of ties, buy a lot of shirts, and I want you to start wearing a shirt and tie every single Sunday morning, even though you're just you know, a congregation member and you're still you know, learning to be a pastor. And I was like, why do, why do I have to do this? Like, that's a lot of money. It's really uncomfortable. Um, like, I understand like, you know, where you're coming from. Like, yeah, but like, is it really that important? It uh, seems like uh, more of a waste of money than, than anything. But, but for me, that, that was actually a challenge to my heart. Like, am, am I willing to, to, to submit to my pastor? Am I willing to, to trust that there's something good that he has in store for me from giving me this direction? So, so it, it was, I mean, it seems like a very simple thing, but for me, it was like, this is ridiculous, right? Like, I don't want to do this. <clears throat> but God used that to show me the ways in my heart that I haven't submitted to him as my Lord and Savior. And even though, you know, doing this, uh, wearing a shirt and tie isn't an issue of right and wrong, you know, you're not sinning if you're wearing a shirt and tie, it, it is a way to, to honor my pastor and to understand, you know, what his wishes are and, and how he wants me to, to see another way of what, what it means to, to honor God as an act of worship. 
And it was actually from this willingness, this willingness to yield to my pastor's direction more in my life, that I started to grow more. That, what, that the things that he said and, and the words of truth that he, he wanted me to un- understand became a lot clearer. So when we understand that you know, pastors have a function to serve us and, we will, and we're willing to submit to them, that's a key way for us to, to, to receive what God has in store for us through them. And that, that's the important thing. And not only do uh, churches depend on pastors, pastors also depend on churches. <clears throat> so pastors need to serve with joy and not with groaning. Um, the, the word groaning here has a sense of pain and complaint out of excessive burden or discomfort, right? So the church has a lot of power and control over the health and experience of a pastor, whether that's good or bad. And just like pastors can really hurt churches and and individual members, so churches can really hurt pastors. Pastors depend on the church as much as churches depend on pastors. Um, you know, pastors are to be joyful, uh, willing in their service, um, but how much more difficult would it be to have the right attitude if the church wasn't supportive? If they treated him with suspicion, if they closed themselves off personally to the pastor? Pastors need to have this willing submission and support of the church to develop this right attitude, to serve them well. You know, m- many times w- when we think about this pastor-church relationship, it's, it's sort of like a me versus you relationship. It, it's sort of like a battle. So the pastor, you know, he needs to fight to, to push back against a church that demands too much from them. And then the church needs to make sure to fight uh, so that the pastor doesn't overstep his bounds. But the nature of a pastor-church relationship is actually the opposite. It, it, it's not a win-lose or a, or a lose-win relationship. This pastor-church relationship is either a win-win or either a lose-lose. If a pastor is doing well, then the church does well. If a church does well, then a pastor does well. Because at the end of the day, we are all deeply and intimately connected um, through the Holy Spirit as part of the same body of Christ. If we could get that diagram up, that'd be great, Jackie. We are all deeply and intimately connected through the Holy Spirit as part of the same body of Christ. Um, you know, for the past uh, couple of relationships, we've been talking about this idea of all relationships under Christ, from husbands and wives to, to slaves and masters to children and parents. And this is the same when it comes to the relationship between church members and pastors. We, we, we are all under Christ. And God's design for a healthy pastor-church relationship is one where pastors are able to serve with joy, They see God at work and they're thankful for the support of the church. It's one where churches feel encouraged and feel safe to grow in a church community. You know, they feel challenged in their faith, but not forced. They feel like they're moving forward spiritually. And there's a genuine desire to follow the direction that a pastor sets. Healthy pastor-church relationship, it doesn't mean that things will be easy. There are many challenges. It doesn't necessarily mean that things are going to go well externally. You know, a church can, go be, can be going through a very difficult time for various reasons. But, but a healthy pastor-church relationship does mean that a church is in a place to grow spiritually, even in the toughest circumstances. So this heart attitude is so important. 
and, 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 and you know, how I just described a church pastor relationship is how things should look ideally, but, but of course that's not always the case. And even if it is in a healthy place for a season, it doesn't always stay that way. And that's the reason why we have these Bible verses, to always be pointing us in the right direction of how God wants us to interact as pastor and church. Um, we're all sinners in the process of being made perfect. And sometimes external circumstances will come and, and, and cause tension in this relationship. And when we find ourselves in a place where the relationship isn't healthy, you know, whether it's the fall of the pastor or the church, or most of the time it's a bit of both, it's really important that we trust that God restores relationship through humble dependence on him. God restores relationship through humble dependence on him. Let me read First Peter 5 again. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So, so this command is given right after talking about this pastor-church relationship, and, and, and it anticipates that things aren't going to go smoothly. And, and it's here that God reminds all believers how he works through relationships. You know, first, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You know, God knows whose heart are truly in the right place, and he gives grace to them. God provides them with what they need to honor and please them, despite the circumstances. Second, God exalts those who humble themselves before him in the proper time. God promises to ensure that those who should get recognition and influence because they truly followed his will and, and represent it, that they get recognized at the right time. And, and this is true whether you are a pastor or a church member because what God is looking at is our hearts, not our positions or our responsibilities. And we're not told the exact time when this happens. It could be months, it could be years, it could be more, but we're told that the timing will be right according to God's wisdom and purposes. And lastly, in verse 7, God cares for us you know, in all the anxieties that we face in life. And this is true, especially when it comes to relationships in our lives where we feel unfairly uh, or improperly treated. You know, in, in this pastor-church relationship, Jesus is the chief shepherd. We are all under Christ. We are all under Christ. And our chief shepherd, Jesus, who we're under, he graciously provides for our needs when the church that's supposed to support us fails us too. He cares for us when, when we don't receive the care that we would like from our church, whether it's from other brothers and sisters or, or from our pastors and leaders. And, and Jesus makes sure that his will and desire will be made clear to his church as they depend on him. And what we need to focus on is having this heart of humility, humility towards one another and humility before God. Humbling yourself is something you need to actively do. It starts with examining your many flaws as a sinner, being willing to look at your sin and admitting that you are in desperate need of help. Humbling yourself before God is bringing yourself to recognize that you are wholly and completely dependent on God that you can't do anything apart from him. All you can do is trust in his mighty hand. He's the one that's moving for you. You can't move on your own. 
Humility before others is an attitude that, that puts others first, which thinks of the desires, needs, and, ad- and ideas of others as more worthy of attention than your own. It's recognizing that you need others. You need others to lead you. You need others to serve you. You need to lean on them. And you're allowing them and inviting them to serve you in different ways. It's in this place of humbling themselves that the believers come to their senses when they're in a relationship where sin has caused damage. And they can start to hear God's voice. And it's in this place that God starts to speak. He, he exalts those who need to be exalted, those who, who are right, those who are wrong in different ways. They, they start, it's not about them anymore. It's about what God is saying. And, and they're willing to both repent and come to a place where they can work together because it's not about them. It's about the relationship with God together. So a pastor-church relationship that flourishes needs humble dependence on God and each other. And we have such a great hope as believers, and the hope that we are in Christ. And the hope of the gospel is that where other people fail us, especially when it comes to our church family, Christ has not failed us. He is our elder brother. God is our father in this church family. And Christ, he came to earth and he humbled himself and submitted himself to the Father 100% that we might have the blessings of forgiveness and reconciliation, that we might have the unity of the Holy Spirit in our community. And, and this doesn't mean that it happens automatically or easily, but it means that there is hope and that we will always be moving forward because Jesus Christ is alive. He's in heaven and he's alive in us and through us, through the Spirit. So, I, so as we end our relationship series, I hope that we feel encouraged. And I, and I hope that we're able to see how God is working in our relationships and what God is saying to us in our different uh, challenges, uh, whether it's with our spouses, whether it's with our church relationships, whether it's with our friends, whatever it is, God is speaking to us through these relationships. Um, whether things are going well or, or not, um, we need one another. And God's working through all of this to bring us closer to him. Uh, we're going to enter into a time of communion soon. Uh, But let me just pray to to end us off for this message. Lord Jesus, we come to you. You are our chief shepherd. And we thank you that you watch over us, Lord, that you never grow weary, You, you never grow tired. You never sleep, but you watch over us. And your eyes are looking to and fro, Lord, uh, to see those hearts who are fully devoted to you. I pray that you would help us to trust you more, to trust you as our shepherd more, to trust you in our church communities, to trust that you're working through all of us, Lord. Uh, I pray that you would give us grace, Lord, um, to, to be the church member that you call us to be, to be the leader that you call us to be, Lord. And we pray that through it all, the world would see your glory more, your love more through us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I'm going to ask that the, that the deacons uh, hand the elements out. Uh, you're welcome to partake in communion if you are baptized, if you are striving to live in faithful obedience to God, um, if you're in right relationship with a local church family. Uh, if not, then just please uh, just pass the tray as it's being uh, given to you.
I'm going to read to us from 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. You know, in this passage, Jesus is reminding believers. You know, communion is all about relationships. It's all about relationships, first with God and then with one another. And it's a time for us to examine our relationships. Are we reconciled with one another? Because if we're not, then we're not reconciled with God. So as we take communion, I'm going to give us a couple minutes for us to examine our hearts to see if we need to be made right with another relationship in our life, especially with other believers. And if not, if this is a time for us to repent and to turn away and to resolve to make things right before we take communion. So let's take a couple minutes and just ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts. Lord Jesus, you know all of our hearts. Um, Yeah, would you speak to us right now, Lord? Help us to, to, to examine ourselves rightly because you want to take our relationship with you seriously. time where Jesus wants to remind us that his grace is open to all of us, that he's paid the price for our sin on the cross, that there is no shame, guilt, or condemnation, that we can trust him to do what he says we will do, he will do. And as we come to trust him, it's a call for us to renew our, our faith in him, to renew our trust and resolve to obey him. It's, it's, it's giving us time to say, yes, Lord, we're going to follow you again. And it's Jesus saying, I'm going to take you through it. I'm going to lead you home to the new heavens and the new earth. So I want us to think, you know, have you been living in a way that shows you truly understand the significance of the cross in your everyday life? You know, Jesus died so that you could be freed from sin. Are you living your life in such a way that takes a hold of that freedom? Is there sin that you must repent of? If so, this is the time to repent. And as we repent, it doesn't stay there. It means receiving God's acceptance and forgiveness of us once again. 
So it might give us a couple minutes to reflect on not just our relationships, but our personal obedience and trust in God. And if we need to turn away right now, this is the time for us to do it before we take communion. take communion together. Let's peel back the first layer. The Lord Jesus took bread after blessing he broke it and gave it to his disciples. He said, take and eat. This is my body. Let's eat together. Pray together with me. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful that you've called us to sit with you, Lord, to, to feast with you, to, to be in your presence, to enjoy fellowship and friendship with you. Thank you for your body broken for us, Lord, that we might have a new glorious resurrected body, that we might be forgiven of our sins, Lord. We turn away from the sins we've been allowing to continue in our life. We repent for the ways that we haven't been living uh, in love and forgiveness towards your body, the church. And we receive your grace and forgiveness once again. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's peel back the second layer. Jesus took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. I will not drink of it again until I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's drink of the cup of the Lord together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us the hope of feasting with you in the new heavens and the new earth. Would you make our hope sure and stronger, Lord, that we wouldn't settle for anything less, that we wouldn't settle for the things of this world, Lord, but you would set our hearts on a course, Lord, that's bound for heaven. Let's strive to be faithful to you, God. Would this hope in us be more real and real, day by day, week by week, as we strive to follow you. We thank you and we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.